Welcome to Endless 08, a time loop anime podcast. I'm Duffo. I'm BJ. It is 2008. We are watching and discussing anime from 2008, the year that it is. And what a good year it is. I'm glad you are so consistent about opening with that. (laughs) (laughs) That's not in the script, but you've just picked it up as a catchphrase anyway. Yeah, don't get me wrong. There's going to be a day where I'm going to have, we're either going to watch an awful show, or I'm just going to be having a bad day, and I'm going to go, oh, what a year. But you know what? (laughs) We haven't hit that point yet. Yeah, I feel like the more we learn about the year, the deeper you can appreciate the year. It's like spending a long time staring at a painting. Yeah, okay. I don't know that appreciate would be the right word to use. I think <laughs> understand. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate feels a bit too kind. Okay, well, let me put it a different way. I'm doing brain experiments on you, BJ. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I had an inkling at one point and I was like, nah, nah, um, definitely wouldn't do that. <laughs> I, I want to tell you about one of my inspirations for this podcast. Okay. Uh, coming into it. Um, are you familiar with the comedian James Acaster? I know the name. I don't know who it is. Uh, he's a British comedian. Um, I think I saw him on Taskmaster first. Ah, he's, okay. He's, he's very funny. Um, he has a, a, a podcast about music okay. and music reviewing. Uh, he His story behind it is that he had a really weird 2016. Like, he went through major life changes. I think, like, lost a job, you know, got out of a long-term relationship. Right. Uh, it was all over the shop, like, needed something to anchor him. And he was like, I'm going to get really into music. Okay. But I am I need some kind of focus, so I'm just going to listen to music from 2016. Oh, I'm just <laughs> trying to think back to 2016. I, I don't keep up with popular music, so I don't know. I didn't even know what was happening then in music. Oh, uh, he, he could tell you. He could tell you, like, uh, hundreds and hundreds of albums that came out this year. Oh, my God. <laughs> because he's gone and he's listened to everything, but, like, hasn't learned anything about the artist's <laughs> That they've done outside of that year. <laughs> uh, okay, I I'm starting to I'm starting to understand now. <laughs> it's a, a very like there's a a very funny moment in one where the the guest like mentions Nick Cave to him and he's like, oh Nick Cave from Skeleton Tree, the 2016 <laughs> album. <laughs> They're like, that's that's not what anyone else knows yeah. Nick Cave for. <laughs> I don't even listen to music like that, and I know who Nick Cave is. Oh boy. So it is, it's very fun. It like brings guests on and like, you know, they're like, oh, come review an album with me and I'll try and convince you that 2016 was the perfect year for music. <laughs> that and sounds magical. I'm going to have to put it in my rotation. Yeah. Just built a very weird uh, horizontal base of knowledge <laughs> that is very deep and very shallow at the same time. <laughs> And we are also going to end up with that doing this project. Uh, honestly, I'm looking forward to be able to be at, say, a Christmas family mm-hmm. function and then have everyone go, oh, so what have you been up to? And I'll just go, oh, yeah, I just finished watching this show from this year, from 2008. It's been fantastic. Yeah. I just and finished go- Top Secret, The Revelation, <laughs> <laughs> the Madhouse classic. I just finished Garay Zero and have everyone in my family who does not watch anime go, are you okay? What's going on? Today, yeah, we are talking about uh, Gare Zero, an anime from 2008, the year that it is. The year that it is. What a good year. Yeah. Uh, it is a supernatural anime. Yes, uh, very is, much so. It is about task forces that fight uh, supernatural demons. The, 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 what was it? The, um, the environmental supernatural disaster division or something along those lines yes that it comes under the environment department portfolio and i love that everyone who's listening like whenever they like the department introduces itself nobody ever like clicks and goes hang on a minute you just said supernatural everyone just accepts <laughs> this as a thing and they just go yeah okay cool whatever you guys seem cool oh yeah those park rangers obviously yeah <laughs> Yeah, the ones the ones with the the lady with the sword that also has a giant like horrifying chimera thing. Okay, yeah, cool. Those guys. <laughs> so, uh Gare Zero uh has uh interesting production history. Okay. Uh, rather it's it is an adaptation of a manga called Gare, uh, which is by uh Hajime Sagawa. Um he's maybe better known for his later work Tokyo ESP. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. about teenagers with psychic powers. I, I said that as if I'd seen it. I haven't seen it. I've just heard <laughs> of it before. Yeah, okay. But uh, yeah, this this was his um, first sort of hit manga okay. uh, that got adapted. Gare Zero does not tell the story of Gare. It is a prequel to the manga. 
and it's not doesn't do it any favors if i'm honest <laughs> I've, I've been trying to work out like why they would have made this decision and so i've been picking through some of the history around this thing uh, so there are two production teams attached to this the aic spirits and asread mm. so um aic is the anime international company ah okay could be Anime International Corporation. I'll have to double check that. And who cares? <laughs> Same general principle. Uh, uh, they were like one of the big hitters, uh, especially in the 80s and 90s and kind of um, don't have the influence that they used to have, but they still have a very widespreading production team. Right. Um, uh, AIC is known for sp- uh, splitting their group off into smaller teams that go off and do very different things. Right. Um, AIC Spirits is one of these teams. Um, originally, it was their video game team. So, the thing that they started out doing was making cutscenes for other people's video games. Oh, okay. Actually, now that, now that you say that, like, a part of me is going, yeah, okay, there are some moments in here where I'm like, yeah, that's, like, feels like it was made, could have been made for an anime cutscene. Yeah. Uh, one of the interesting ones they did, um, they did the cutscenes for Police Noughts. Oh. Which is the mid-90s Hideo Kojima game. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. So, they they ran out of work by the mid-thousands, the early thousands. Yep. And so, they kind of had to rebrand this team. And so, they became a production assistance company instead. And what they started doing was going out to other productions and doing their in-between animation for them. Oh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, do you know what in-between animation is? Um, so, the way I understand it is that you've got keyframing and then the other animation. And the keyframing is just the getting the really the main animators in to hit the key notes in any particular scene and any particular like set of animation. And then somebody else comes in and fills in those other gaps, like this slightly blurrier stuff where you can afford to be a bit less uh, detailed with it because you want to hit those main beats on a storyboard. And you just got to fill in the rest of the time. Yeah, because that's how it looks smoother. And yeah. uh, you just need to insert those in the middle. Uh, and they, they got some big contracts for this. They were doing Are My Goddess. Later on, they do Full Metal Alchemist. They do in-betweening for that. Yeah, okay. So they're getting good work out of it. But as you can understand, it's not the most creatively fulfilling. <laughs> no, because you've got point A and point B, and you just need to fill in those like six spots in between that moment. You have no choice in this. You are starting here and ending here no matter what. Yeah. And so, yeah, they're doing a lot of this work and they're like, you know, we're, we've, we've built up our chops. We need to go like, we want to do something creative for ourselves, uh, but we need to find someone else to sort of fill out our production team. And so they go and find Asread, which is another uh, smaller, more independent one, which is also doing in-betweening work. And they say, between the two of us, we have a production studio. Uh, we can pick up an IP and work with it. And uh, what they pick up is Garay. Right. And as part of the negotiations, they're like, you know, we want to take this in our own direction. Ah, right. So instead of making this Garay the anime, we want to tell the story before your story. Right. <sighs> Was that a good idea? <laughs> no. I'm going to say no. We've already got so many anime that exist that where, like, they just completely separate from the manga anyway. Like,. You got the rights, then they don't have much right to complain at that point. <laughs> Just mm. make Garay, but do it differently. Yes, I did read some of the manga, and I, I can I'll speak to a bit of it later. Yeah, the the main character of it. So having seen through it, you know, uh, at the very end of episode twelve of this show, yeah. there is a dude with glasses who shows up who gets to use the the Michael sword. Yes, he is the main character. Not gonna lie, when we got to that episode, <laughs> we're already like skipping ahead to the end. But honestly, when he showed up, I was like, yeah, he's got like generic main character vibes he's just got that like the short brown black haircut and the like kind of slightly whiny but you know like he's got those main character vibes for sure yeah and the the premise of the the manga is that uh, he is an ordinary high schooler but he can see ghosts of course he he can see see spirits i was just about to say that honestly like i only saw him for you know a minute whatever he seems infinitely less interesting than all of the characters in this show i don't really like this show that we watched but honestly all of the characters were infinitely more interesting than this fucking schlub who shows up right at the end just to be like hey look i'm here yeah and i think they must have understood this <laughs> because they're like if we're going to tell a backstory we're going to tell the backstory of the the girl who he meets who is like oh you can see spirits you should team up with me and then she's mysteriously a transfer student into his school. Of course, hit, she and is. you know, hit hit all the plot beats after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, okay, I'm, I'm reframed as you've just done. 
it makes more sense. Like it's it's interesting. Um, if we're going to start talking about the show now, I will say that uh, what a I was about to say weird, but that's not wrong. A bold move to open first episode with a cast of characters who get killed off at the end of that episode and then the anime is actually about somebody else completely different. Yes. Like, my notes for this show on the first episode, I don't have them with me, unfortunately, but I distinctly remember kind of towards the middle of the episode, the main note was, this show feels like it's trying a bit too hard to be cool. And all these characters seem, again, trying too hard to be cool, but boring. There's a reason for that. They all die. Yes, immediately. They, they are underdeveloped because they are unimportant. <laughs> yeah, and it very interesting move. Does it work? Mm. Well, the audience reaction to this, reading through some of the people, how they felt about this at the time, o- overarchingly, it is a what the fuck. <laughs> it, it, is, it is very effectively what the fuck, this. yeah. Especially people who are coming at it who are fans of Garay. Right. And are like, can't wait to see this adaptation of my favorite manga. And, it's like, and even, are like, what, what is this? This I can't even really see how this is that related to and, it. And the, the, I think really the bold move is like not just introducing this cast and then killing them off, but having the whole show or the first half of the show then be a flashback to how we get to this point. We don't start at the beginning. We're yeah. starting in like the middle, like the middle, the second third of it. Like- very, very interesting choice. I, again, I don't know that it works all that I'm well. I'm thinking about it. Yeah, narratively, they had the option because it does jump back in time to when all of these characters are alive. Are we, but we don't over, hear you about know, any you, don't, you, you still don't see them ever you know again. What, probably my one of my the favorite my favorite bit of that like idea in the first episode is that the leader of that team that gets killed off, absolute villain. Holy shit. Like, you look at the guy, he's got the, like, the kind of, unfortunately, slanty eyes and the, like, the kind of always kind of menacing look. And he's got the deep voice that's really like, yes, I am a bad guy. Like, basically, Xehanort from, like, the Kingdom Hearts games. Like, this guy rocks up, like, seeming to, like, act like a good guy. But you just look at the guy and you're like, he's evil. Like, this guy's got the white hair. He's got yellow eyes, I'm pretty sure. Like, this guy is a bad guy. And that's what, in my notes, I was like, oh, this guy is going to be bad. He gets killed off before the rest of the cast. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, uh, the the first episode does at least do a job of uh, setting up. It is the, the modern day, except it's in Tokyo, where uh, demons and spirits are showing up around the place. And there are specialized task forces that go and fight them. You see this SWAT team roll out and they have uh, canisters of holy water that they are <laughs> shooting off at them. Um, the specialized team comes in and um, the, the, there's this motorbike riding woman on the team who has a bunch of holy sigils carved into her tire. And so when she does burnouts, it makes magic circles. And not just that, but then also like attacks them with the bike by like speeding up and then braking really hard on the front brakes that it spins up and she kicks them with the back tire. Just ridiculous. Doing a bunch of spins. <sighs> silly. It's very silly. Yeah, it, it gives you the impression we're going to get silly with weapons. We we get even sillier with weapons. We oh my god, the wheelchair later. Oh, yep. Okay. Um. And so she's teamed up with the guy who who is like is introduced kind of as our main character mm. with a tragic backstory, which we learn nothing about overall, like ever. I'm, again, I'm shocked that we didn't come back to this at any point. But uh, the uh, he is the dual wielding pistol dude is riding on the back of the motorbike, shooting all the zombie <laughs> spirit dudes. <laughs> Yeah, it's some real Devil May Cry shit going on here. <laughs> Can I say the actual monster they are fighting looks fucking atrocious. I was I was not going to lie. You said, can I say? And I thought, please don't say good. Please don't say good. Please don't say good. Because, oh, my God, they use this same monster like six times. Oh, yeah, they bring times. it back. They're like, we nailed it. It is, it is a two-legged dinosaur that has uh, flames uh, as uh, down the middle. I think you're missing the most important part. It is a CG two-legged dinosaur, yes, and it looks dreadful. Yeah, and it, it turns into a tire, and it spins around <laughs> and travels like that. It's like when you're playing a Kirby game and you suck up the wheel and you can like do that thing. Yeah, it's it's exactly that, and it's except it's not exactly that because it looks so much worse. Yeah. <sighs> so someone on the production team got the memo. It's 2008. Yu-Gi-Oh! 5Ds is what's in. <laughs> The teens want to see motorbikes. Oh, God, we're going to be watching that at some point. Oh, oh yeah, we God. are. Oh, God. Okay. Sorry. 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wheels and motorbikes and things. They're cool. As I said, it feels like it's trying really hard to be extra cool. And it just makes it like over the top to the point that it's just not cool anymore. Yeah. It's kind of sad. One thing that's going to be a recurring thing through the monsters that arrive, it doesn't actually scan as being a demon or a spirit not or a in yokai. any way whatsoever <laughs> we've got so many references to like actual spirity things yeah they're, they're referring to themselves as exorcists yep um they're using holy water uh they talk about like i don't want to get into it yet but like there are references to shinto stuff and um buddhist stuff and things like that but then the creature design and the spirit design is just like Unrelated to any kind of, as you said, yokai or spirit in any way. Yeah. It's just bizarre. So, yeah, a lot of people came out of the first episode saying, what the fuck? But they're like, hey, Yomi is here. We know who Yomi is. <laughs> we'll stick with it. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, th- this has dual protagonists in it. Uh, Yomi is the evil protagonist in this from the Garo manga. Uh, she is introduced as the main villain early on in it, and she is a ghost. Oh. She is like a wraith from hell who is uh, going around and causing these supernatural disruptions. Okay. And uh, trying to open up a gateway to hell to remove a seal from the demon king who lives beneath Tokyo. Okay, cool. That sounds- that's, uh, that is more- uh, set up for like a villain plot than we get at all in this series. Yeah. A villain in this series is some white-haired boy with a gem in his eye who's just shit-stirring. It's just around to just be a bit of an ass. Yes. Like we don't get any particular kind of motivation from him. We do a little bit later, but not like an overarching one. And it just feels kind of weak. It's like, oh, there's spirits, go attack. Oh, there's more spirits, go and destroy. Oh, there's some more spirits, go and destroy them. And just that kind of over and over and over again until Yomi turns. Yes. Um, And you're introduced as Yomi is uh, an evil character who is just going around mass murdering everyone, mass murdering exorcists specifically. So, yeah, uh, we get that. And then we're actually in this like second and third episode, we're actually introduced to our actual cast, which is... Again, like members of the whatever, whatever, whatever force, supernatural environmental protection agency, whatever, but like a different division over here attached to them. And this group of characters is actually somewhat interestingly designed. Yeah. <laughs> not not amazing, but, you know, we've got our um, two twins, Nabu and Nabu. Yeah. They're not amazing. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. They are not amazing <laughs> characters, but it's interesting it's something i haven't seen before they're black <laughs> like it's yeah the, you're introduced to this exorcist team there are these two african guys yep um they are both named nabu yeah they're both named nabu they finish they, each other's they sentences that this is a thing that happens in this culture that yep. their brothers just named didn't actually thing. say what culture it is in the show or whatever i had to look it one up later yeah um, no looked it up uh, yeah it's um the creator has said they are san bushman yeah. from southern africa <laughs> Yeah, like that's interesting. It's it's out there. It's different. It's not dude with two pistols riding on the back of a motorbike. Kind of expecting them to have some culturally specific powers or yes, like any yes, powers. Absolutely. No, they just they're just good at gun. <laughs> so they, technically, everyone on this team does have powers. They can all see the spirits. Oh yes, so true. Okay. That like I guess, but even then, I mean, if you said as like you said later on, a t- fucking high school boy gets to join the team because he can see spirits. Like yeah. You know, why are we importing these two dudes from Africa? Clearly, that's going to cost more money than just get this club high schooler over here. Anyway, getting ahead of myself. Uh, in the dub, Nabu and Nabu both open all of their sentences by saying Nabu. In the in the sub, they end all of their sentences by saying Nabu. Okay. <laughs> Which makes sense if you think about Japanese, like translating Japanese to English, the um, subject, verb, object, uh, word order of a standard sentence is swapped. In, um, in each language. Yeah, uh, the, this is, I guess, a verbal tick, which is something that happens yep. uh, in, in at least Japanese yeah, can't, can't, Yeah. I don't know if many people speak like that, actually. <laughs> Not particularly. It's like, uh, you know, when you've got a cat girl and they say, yeah, at the yeah, end of every yeah. sentence. You know, it's that kind of thing. Um, it does make sense in Japanese, actually, now that I think about it, because Japanese has 
end sentence markers that indicate um, the tone or the feeling of the speaker. Like if I end a sentence with this your, I end it with a your, it means that I'm like either excited or I feel strongly about a thing. But if I end it with a ne, then I'm like trying to indicate to you, like, don't you agree? Something like that. Like, or yeah, there's, there's that kind of thing that exists. So I could understand why the, there could be a, like a verbal tick of replacing that, of, of needing to have something in that spot every time you speak and just replacing it with something specific. Mm. It's weird, but, you know, it it's, makes some kind of sense. Um, definitely doesn't make sense in English. That just doesn't... <laughs> like, that sounds awful to listen to. Yeah, they're like, these two black guys say their own name like Pokemon all the time. <laughs> You've just, you just got to accept and live with that. Okay? Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, the you've got the two of them. You have Noriyuki who is a, he summons like little fox spirits. He's also a pervert. Yeah, he's, he's no, he, they present him as like the laid back chill member of the group. Who is also perverted and is problematic, but we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> he, he's also like the cool dude, as you said, like he's a cool dude. Yeah. yeah. Um, then we've got the dude whose name I don't remember who shoots briefcase guns, but not in the way you think. Yes. <laughs> The other, the, yeah, the other two members of this team, I didn't write their names down. My apologies. It's, yeah. Honestly, like a briefcase gun dude, he dies at some point. doesn't really matter. Like he's just there to scream and be annoying. Like whatever. He's over there. His, his, as the briefcase guns, instead of being like you'd think where you're holding the handle and then there's like just a gun sat inside it that shoots out the side. No, you've got to hold the briefcase up and the bullets shoot out the bottom of the briefcase. Weird. Yeah, it but, opens up like a missile rack. <laughs> yeah, but it shoots bullets. Like it's it's... Something. Um, but anyway, we get to one of my favorite members of this squad, whose, again, name I don't remember. doesn't really matter. He's a blonde beefcake who's gay. Yes, we we have a gay icon, uh, big mohawked captain of the team. Yeah. He's very competent. He is very competent. He, he is confident. Mm. And he's always, you know, just like, cool, let's go. Let's do the thing, whatever. And... Whilst the gayness is played for a joke and it is <laughs> kind of just paper thin, honestly, that it's there at all, thumbs up. Yeah, we'll, we'll come around on the joke here <laughs> uh, and talk about our two main characters first. Oh, we yeah. have Yomi, who back in time, she's she's good. She's um, She's a swordswoman. She works on this exorcism team. She is part of a family of exorcists. Uh, this is something she's inherited from her father. Um, her uncle is the head of the clan of um, exorcists and sorcerers and whatever they have going on there. And uh, the head of the clan has a daughter as well, who is our main character, Sushimiya Kagura. Yes. Kagura. Hmm. She's she's not the worst character in the world, but I find I found her quite whiny at times and i don't know she she doesn't have enough of that drive really there's a lot of just she's following along with whatever anybody else is doing which makes sense for the character but yeah after all that just kind of gets kind of samey it um, is it is tough because it's obviously what they want to explore with this character yeah. you know she is someone who would really rather that she got to be a regular high school girl but because her father has this big important role um he's got a it's a big dragon. Yeah, he's that's uh, sealed in his body. Byakue. Yes, I don't know if the English was different, but uh, yeah. no, Byakue. That's that's what he's called. Yeah, cool. Um, these are the Gare, the spirit devourers. Right. Yeah. Okay. Why is it Gare then? Because they is spirit. Yeah. But um, I I didn't ever pick up what the Ga was. I should have looked that up. Yeah, devourer is the word they use in English. Oh, okay. That that probably is probably some old kanji that I just. Don't know because when would I ever use the word devourer in <laughs> regular speaking at school? Um, but yeah, so it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so one day she's going to have this dragon sealed into her as well. And she needs to train. In the meantime, uh, she goes to live with uh, Yomi and Yomi's father. Yeah, and one thing we should notice that Yomi is not uh, is not blood related to her father. Her parents died when she was young, and she was adopted by her father. Yes, and, and that's why it's okay when the girls kiss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. I I will say that it wasn't super like common. Like it wasn't happening all the time. It was like twice. 
So, you know, okay, like, whatever, we'll have that moment. Um, they didn't explore it. Like, it would have been nice to if they'd explored that a bit further and gone like, oh, maybe these kids are actually... They, they do incredibly make out with each other in the back of the car on the way to a mission. Yeah. Get perfed on by what's his name. And that's where they have the thing where they're like, oh, it's, it's fine if the captain watches. He doesn't even swing this way. Yeah, that was... Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's not good representation, but I appreciate the the uh, nonchalantness of it. Like, we're not going to make a big deal out of it. It's like, this is just regular life. Like, it's it's nice, especially for 2008. I don't think that was the thing that was really happening. I could be wrong, but I remember hearing a lot of gay jokes, being called a lesbian. Yes. It was in me, specifically, even though I wasn't trans at that point. How did he know? <laughs> how, did, how did Josh know? What the fuck? <laughs> oh, anyway. Um, yeah, uh, yeah you, you've, you've picked a really interesting point to touch on. Um, I have an article here that I really wanted to talk about. It's weird to find a place to slot it in. Uh, but, you know, the fact that you have mentioned that we have diverse characters in this thing. Yep. Um, that's something, you know, Hollywood is seeking at the moment. Um, there are Hollywood writers who are interested in adapting more and more Japanese stuff. Yeah. And telling these kinds of stories. Um, I need to read you the headline here. Thor Ragnarok writer developing manga Garay into live action series. Hang on, hang on. No, no, please, just no. No, we don't need to do that. It's from October 2017. Oh, uh, okay, so it's not happening. Good. The, the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, COVID probably killed this. <laughs> but yeah, Thor producer and Thor Ragnarok co-writer Craig Kyle told Tokyo Japan's content showcase on Tuesday he is developing a live-action TV series of the popular supernatural action manga, lauding Japan as a treasure trove of character and stories. Okay, okay. He said that he was working on the pilot and flushing out a character bible, signalling that the show could unfold its story over several seasons. Ew, oh, no, no, oh, no, don't yeah. do that. Uh, quote, what it has more than anything is wonderful, wonderful characters, Kyle said. Uh-huh. That's the one component above all else that would guarantee a success if handled properly by those you entrust with those characters in this IP. Everyone who wants the next Game of Thrones, I will make the bold statement that Garay has that potential. <laughs> Oh no! Oh no! No! no. <laughs> Incredible thing to say. <laughs> no man has some fucking balls to say that. No shame whatsoever. Wow. Yeah, but you know, see, and he's talking about how Japanese stories far exceed anything that's happening in the states. It says when it comes to the gender, the diversity on all levels, fearless choices are being made. So many tremendous shades of emotional and sexual and personal grey. Um, no. No, I don't think so. Kyle's conclusion, you own the vault. You guys are the promised land. That, ooh, okay. Now we're getting into, um, <laughs> now we're getting into, um, what's the word? Cultural appropriation. <laughs> yes. That's, ooh, that's, that's really not something to be so excited well, about, my dude. I mean, the creator's getting a good payout for this, presumably, and yeah, it's signed I mean, off on a live action thing. And, yeah. Don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, One Piece live action did good this year. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been seeing things about it. I'm not going to see it. I'm spoilers. I'm not a One Piece person. We're going to end up watching it, and I'm just not going to like it. I just I, even it, if it is good, I just no. I, I watched it with my girlfriend, who doesn't really uh, watch much anime or anything like that, and she was on board until the they have phones that are snails that psychically communicate to each other. And as soon as that came up, she was like, okay, this is stupid. <laughs> I'm off this now. <laughs> oh, amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, I wouldn't, like, we've got interesting characters. I don't know that I would say they're particularly well made or fleshed out. Like, it was just refreshing to see some different and interesting ones. I wouldn't say that, like, I wouldn't, uh, our two main characters, I feel like they were both rather generic for their um the the niche that they were fulfilling like as i said our main girl feels a bit whiny and a bit following along um and like as you said she's fulfilling a purpose there that's what the writer wanted to happen but i felt like there wasn't enough to distinguish her from any other character who was also doing that in another series same with yomi um she was our like outgoing um confident cool like girl but I didn't feel like there was anything about her that was particularly her. It felt a bit like one-dimensional 
really. Like there wasn't that much to, there wasn't much that much depth to this character other than what you can very clearly see. Yeah. Uh, sometimes that can happen in shows that do want to focus on spectacle. <laughs> yeah, okay, that that's a good way to put it, actually, yeah. We're focusing here, we've got our 3D CG animation, we're focusing on our spectacle rather than our character development, which, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the arc of the show as it goes on is that uh, Kagura joins the spirit fighting team. Uh, she learns how to wield uh, a pneumatic blade, Michael I w- 12. I will say that is possibly my most favorite sword I've ever seen in my life. It's called Michael 12, which great, <laughs> great like name, but it's also basically a gun sword where you can draw the sword or you can pull a trigger on the sword, which shoots the sword out super fast. Just Yeah, they, they explain that the sheath is pressurized <laughs> and they keep insisting that when you depressurize it, it makes it three times more powerful. I don't know <laughs> if that works. It doesn't, but that's my favorite part because then towards the end, she ends up getting Michael 13 for like the big final climactic yeah. scene. And it's different in that it's actually got not bullets, but like charges in it like like blanks effectively yeah and she can still do the same thing where like she shoots it out with the high pressure but then she can also click another trigger that then makes the tip of the sword itself fire bullets so that it swings even harder and you can do that after it's already been sent out and it's got a chain on it and everything it's 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 a very interestingly designed weapon it's really cool and i like it a lot they they get to do some interesting choreography with it. Yes. I, I will say it's it's good about, you know, there are times, yeah, obviously she can pull it out and fight with it, but uh, just the time she, like, discharges it to, like, hit something, or I, she, like, you know, causes an explosion in the pipeline by sending a sword flying off. I, I vaguely remember at some point there was a little gag where somebody said something dumb, and so she just, like, charged it, like, it was, like <laughs> from a foot away into somebody's gut. They're like, oh, <laughs> like, oh, great stuff. Yeah, there's a good bit in, like, the final fight scene uh, where she actually pops one of the blanks out uh, directly into uh, her opponent's head. <laughs> oh, just, just ludicrous stuff. The, the, having, having bashed the CGI and the creature design and whatnot, the, the fight scenes are really quite nice and interesting. They are definitely where they put the money, and it was effective. Mm. Uh, this is a show I feel... The, the first two episodes of this are quite serious. You know, it wants to take a very uh, tactical tone for the first episode when yep. you're dealing with the SWAT team. And then there's all the drama of Yomi's going around and she's murdering people and she's betraying everyone. And she's like torturing people. And then episodes three and four, you get like a quite a dramatic <laughs> twist yeah. back to, um, oh, it's, it's girls having fun and, uh, you know, becoming each other's adopted sisters. Yeah. And we're doing goofy comedy bits now. And Yeah. Um, definite I, tonal whiplash. I bring this up because in terms of the weapons, Michael 12 is named after its creator, uh, Michael Kohara. The best character in this show. <laughs> you again, liked this man? <laughs> <laughs> this man. Again, I am a sucker for, like, a weird out there character who only shows up for a bit, but, like, you can tell there was some, like, thoughts behind that they're not explained but there were some thoughts behind that (laughs) i'm not sure i am the michael kohara respecter (laughs) this man's deal is that he only ever wears underwear not even underwear he wears a fundoshi which is the special kind tip kind of underwear where it's like a wound up cloth so it's basically kind of knotted along the sides and it is a g-string with the like the flap of um, material like folded down, like, uh, laying down the front. Yeah, uh, the first time he arrives, when he breaks into Kagura's house to yell at her for not using <laughs> Japanese-made clove oil for, for using the sword. using a spray thing instead. Like, <laughs> what an introduction! Because of course he says that, and she attacks him. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. And there's just throwaway lines where people are saying, oh, how does he not get arrested for going around? Uh, My favorite all the joke time? In, the th- in the whole show is when somebody says, how's this guy have been arrested? And one of the guys goes, oh, he has been. It's a bit of a pain in the ass. <laughs> 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 this made my head hurt. <laughs> this was the moment that I had the most fun with this show. It was just such a silly, silly moment. Oh, and then later on when they have to replace their weapons, because Michael has taken all the weapons to like get them all repaired and you know, freshened up. And so they were left with the leftovers and that include a uh, clothing iron, 
Yes, a steam iron that is filled a, with a holy steam water. Steam iron. Yep. Um, and a boiler. Yes, it is in a hot water system boiler. Yes. And there was another one that I can't remember what it was. But, yeah, it was basically just a bunch of household appliances. Yeah, and she ends up taking the iron because she's like, this is the the least shit of the options. <laughs> <laughs> and she's got to learn how to throw it around. And, and of course, in her one fight, she ends up having to fight a bunch of zombies, which it's that is not a crowd control weapon. No, not at all. <laughs> and um, it runs out of water immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, we get to have Kagura decide whether or not she feels she can she's emotionally ready to kill zombies or not. Yeah. This one felt felt unnecessary. This this is something they want to do with Kagura a lot of the time. You know, her father is concerned about her. She's like, you know, she's she's a bit lacking in conviction. Yep. She she knows that it's her job to step up and kill spirits, but she she keeps getting cold feet about it. Yes. And she really doesn't want to kill the zombies because they look like people. <laughs> And they are people's corpses. They are people's corpses. But my, my issue is that generally most of the time, they're very clearly corpses. Like, it's not like, oh, my God. It's it, it, So, the big moment is when um, the nurse at her school gets taken over by a thing that, like, can, like it kills them and then controls their brain and makes the, them- The latches, yes. That's what it's called. Um, and again, again, not really coded as, like, a spirit or- a Not, not in any way. It's basically just a big jellyfish thing. <laughs> yeah, we're just doing sci-fi now. Yeah. Um, and so she, she uh, she's at the school, and the nurse is, you know, being controlled by this latcher. She's she is dead and has bec- and is basically a zombie now, but she still looks like she's alive because this happened like ten minutes ago. And I understand in that moment she's like, oh, but she's still clearly the nurse. But at all these other times when we see these zombies, they look like grey skin, flesh falling off zombies. Like, that's not really a person anymore, my dude. Yeah, and she almost lets Yomi get killed because she's too squeamish to kill a zombie. <laughs> yeah, it's not the most believable kind of yeah, character Especially trait. if you are going to do that same plot beat again later, but better with the Lacha thing. Yes. Like, why do it the first time? <laughs> I, I guess they just wanted to set it up so it didn't feel like it was coming out of nowhere. Mm. But even even then, it's just not done well enough. Yeah. That being said, the the latcher scene was strange in its own way. Uh, so Kagura, uh, she's going to high school, and the excuse they give her to get out of class is that she has a pager that's like, "Oh, my mum's in the hospital, and I've got to go see her." And then she goes out and fights spirits and stuff. Um, so she's keeping it secret from all of her friends, who all believe that you know she's got this awful home life. And- <laughs> It- and so you have these these two side characters, these girls who try and get to know her because they feel bad for her. <laughs> yeah, and the the fallout of this scene is, is she does eventually end up killing the nurse. And yes, the- because these two girls are there after hours because they snuck in and used the pool. I, th- I think they were just kept late because they're in the swimming club, and I think they were just stayed late swimming and. Yes, because Japanese schools don't tend to like close and lock up the doors until fairly late at night, <laughs> and so kids are often hanging back at school without teachers there until like six thirty, seven o'clock sometimes. Yeah, but for ten minutes of the show, it turns into like a slasher thriller. Yeah, and uh, you you have all these lurid scenes of these two girls walking around in their swimsuits, and it's zooming in on their wet asses. Yeah, yeah, it was while they're being stalked by a killer. It was disappointing <laughs> and tonally mismatched. But um, and and then at the, when the nurse does get killed by Kagura, the the two friends are still there, and one of the friends gets really mad at Kagura, despite the fact that she's got a dude next to her saying, "Yeah, the nurse was dead already." Yeah, she's still getting mad at Kagura, and then stayed mad at her for the next episode until they eventually, you know, like made up and they realized how difficult her life is and things like that. But it just. Felt really ham-fisted and just kind of like snapping on a dime. Like these girls were very clearly about to get killed by this nurse. Yeah. They get saved and then they get mad at it. One of them at least gets mad at her because you killed the nurse. Just. Yeah. And then it hits the beat again because the, they go out and leave flowers at the nurse's gravestone and the girl comes and yells at her again. And like they do make up after that and they have a scene where they cry and they hug. But. It just felt too artificial. It felt too like plotty and made to hit some beats rather than an actual natural yeah. progression of anything. This is a show that struggles with its core theme. And that's a problem because your core theme is the core fucking theme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like what it wants to talk about 
is uh, the incompatibility of, you know, having a, a big family duty that's thrust upon you and trying to lead a normal life. It wants to make the point that, like, she can't hold these two lives simultaneously. Um, people are going to get hurt on either side. Uh, she's constantly going to be emotionally torn between them. And she needs to close off at least one side of her if she wants to be experience able- the other. Yeah. Have yeah. enough focus in her life. And and there's not we, – we don't have a character that really – like, I feel like if we had a character that basically just said that outright, we, the theme could have been, ex- like, a bit more easily understood. They, they try at the end, like, in the last episode, um, the captain of the team and one of the Nabus have this conversation, which, yeah. again, doesn't emotionally land because he's like, Nabu, this says a lot about duty and society. <laughs> Uh, yeah like we needed that that moment earlier on from 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 even kogoda's father potentially being like you need to stop what you are doing and pick a side but it doesn't happen because it doesn't happen because he's off fucking over doing whatever his stuff is and not looking after his daughter it just doesn't land well enough yeah the other thing the show really wants to talk about is corruption and hatred yes and this is yomi's arc Throughout the story, do you want to describe this for us? Um, so, as we mentioned before, Yomi isn't actually blood related to her father. She was adopted by her father um, and into the family. And so, there is tension amongst that family with the fact that her dad is going to bequeath to her the special sword that she's got that summons the big cat demon thing that she can use to fight with it. And other members of the family, like extended relatives, are not happy with that. They feel that it should go to their daughter or over here. And Yes, you meet the, the Isayama family specifically and Mei, who yes. is a, a few years older than both uh, Yomi and Kagura. Classic white-haired-coated villain <laughs> lady. Yeah. She's got a magic spirit glaive that transforms into a parasol. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Why it transforms into a parasol? No idea. <laughs> it but looked, it does. It looked cool. It does look cool. Yeah, and... So her whole kind of arc is trying to um, like be a sister to Kagura and fulfill her duties, but also to fulfill her duties to her father, who is has set her up to marry another member of the extended family. Uh, what's his name? The guy no, with the foxes. Yeah, Noriyuki. Noriyuki. Um, and they've set up an arranged marriage between the two of them. And uh, <laughs> that falls through. <laughs> When Some exhausting comedy hijinks there where they're like, oh, these two don't seem to like each other that much. And Kakura gets the whole team in on an effort to uh, make Yomi jealous by getting their boss's secretary to pretend to flirt with Noriyuki. And the boss is 100% in on this and thinks it's a good plan. <sighs> um, and... So that ends up falling through when her father gets killed by Mei because Mei has been corrupted by the white-haired boy with the gem in his eye. Who the butterfly is, dude. Who, who, the butterfly dude, who is our, like, our like, big bad antagonist who feels like nothing. He barely says anything, barely shows up, and then when he does, as I said, it's just a shitster. And so that happens. She does end up killing Mei. Uh, getting revenge for it, and then gets torn up over the fact that she did get that revenge. Then goes off to try and fight the white-haired boy, because she realized that the white-haired boy was behind May's kind of awfulness there, and then gets almost killed herself by having, I think he shoots her with a bunch of spikes, and they end up, like, piercing her larynx and preventing her from being able to walk and move much of her body. Yeah, he... The, the butterfly guy has the ability to, like, psychically throw projectiles. And he uh, completely riddles her with spikes. And th- they go to the doctors and the doctor says, uh, this did not hit any vital organ, but it hit pretty much every single tendon. Uh, you know, she's not going to be able to walk. She's not going to be able to speak. <laughs> the captain of the team says, so when she can she return to work? <laughs> and the doctor says, what the fuck? <laughs> Um, yeah, and so she's now stuck in a hospital being looked after by doctors and by a Kagura and then eventually just feels so sorry for herself that when white-haired boy shows up again and offers 
her some power to be stronger than she was before. Um, she hopes to take it to be able to protect Kagura, but the kind of true feelings that she holds are torn between her caring for Kagura and wanting to protect her and her want for revenge, which she's gotten, but still hate that, that and just hatred of the evil people in the world and things like, and those kind of really negative emotions gives her the gemstone thing to make her an evil, like a super powered spirit. And she basically just turns evil because of it. Mm. I will say it was actually the highlight of this show for me was when we were getting into Yomi's family drama. It was very interesting. From the death of her father onwards and like seeing her father's retainer, like twist the will against her because she was supposed to inherit the the spirit blade and uh, become the new head vanquisher of the family. But he he usurps it and puts his own daughter in that position instead. Yes. And uh, like outright makes a deal of blaming her for her own father's death because while he was being killed, uh, she was inaccessible because she was on a date with Noriyuki and she'd switched her phone off so they wouldn't be interrupted. Yes. We do need to talk about this arranged marriage. It is an arranged marriage between Noriyuki and um, names. Yomi. Yomi. It was. It was. I said it like thirty seconds ago and I lost it. <laughs> um, so they've got an arranged marriage set up. She is fifteen, sixteen. He is twenty-three. Yes. Definitely not a very acceptable age gap, considering I don't think she's eighteen yet. Like, it's just weird. And the things that he does and says are just a bit too weird. And arranged marriages, not great. Just, uh, it, the why she's doing it and why she's going through with it, I very interesting. She's doing it because her dad set up the marriage because he wants her to be a part of the family. And through this marriage, she will be a part of the family more officially. And she is willing to go along with it because her dad rescued her effectively. And she wants to make it up to him. Like, great stuff there. But really, couldn't we have found a better dude than what's his name? Yeah, part of this is coming back around to the idea where you don't get to live a normal life if you are in one of these vanquisher families. You have to have this more traditionalist lifestyle. Things like arranged marriages are going to happen in your life. Which is yikes. Uh, it, yeah, it's tough looking at it and how it's portrayed because it opens up and being like, oh, these two characters actually don't even like each other that much. She throws hot coffee in his face in the office. <laughs> Which felt very brutal. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, you know, they, they warm up to each other. and They do warm up to each like other. They are, like, properly dating before her father gets murdered. Yeah, and that really puts a rift in in between the two, the, the death of her dad and the fact that she got blamed for it. Really, that was pretty well done, actually. The fact, like, that connection. Well done. Yeah, if there had been, like, more, like, character family drama in this. Yes. Like, it almost felt like a Yakuza drama. Yeah, and, like, I'm... I'm like, cause that family, the, the Byakue spirit and uh, Kagura's dad, like he's part of that family. Yeah. But there wasn't any ever at any point that I could see like somebody going, Oh, I want that Byakue. I want that big dragony thing. Like it was only focused on that sword in that moment between those two sections of the family. But yeah, if we'd had more of that dynamic, that would have been fantastic. Yeah. <sighs> it's interesting. Cause people have this attitude. Uh, you especially have May has this attitude like she isn't that interested in going along with the usurping like she wants to be the head vanquisher but she says in this line of work people don't live that long anyway yep yomi is just going to die in the line of fire within the next few years anyway and yeah. then i will be the head vanquisher um like for sure she's taken the kind of the, the the right approach really of basically saying like she's gonna die soon enough anyway like we don't even really have to try very hard to get the, in and be on the top like yeah like, and it, as you said, the family drama angle should have been explored more because it was interesting. Yeah. Problematic, but interesting. I need to tell you about a name. This is a show with a lot of people with weird names. We've got Nabu. Yes. Kagura is actually a pretty normal name. And so, and so is Yomi. Yomi's like a bit of a weird name, but you know, it, like I could, I could imagine meeting someone called that. Um, the head of their department is called uh, Jinguji. It's not a name I've ever heard before. Jingu is the word for Shinto shrine. Ji is the word for Buddhist temple. Her name is Shrine Temple. Ha. Huh. 
Okay. <laughs> Tying again into our themes of like, you know, religion and whatnot. Very ham-fistedly. What the fuck is this name? <laughs> like, honestly, I was sitting there and the whole time I was like, this is a weird fucking name. Why is the name that? And it wasn't until I realized that I thought I would love to hear what a Japanese, like a native Japanese person watching this show would, th- would think of this name because it feels like you've got, a, like, effectively you've got a character whose power is explosions and his name is Mr. Explosion. Like it's just that ham-fisted, and I don't, I don't understand why they did that. We could have gone so many different ways. <laughs> Some Death but, Stranding shit. <laughs> yeah. It, oh my god, it is. It's the Kojima name thing. We've got <laughs> Dead Man over here. He's a dead guy. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Like, they were like, I, hey, I, that guy we worked on Police Noughts with, he has some great <laughs> ideas. <laughs> like, honestly, I love Kojima's stuff and I love the names in his things, mm. but I love them because there's so many of them. It's not just this one character over here. Like, all of them have weird fucking names that are like, some of them ham-fisted, some of them are like actually kind of subtle, but some of them are real just dumb names that even don't relate to anything. But in here we've got this, like, these, like, Nabu makes sense. It's like a strange name, but it makes sense because he's like not native Japanese, whatever. But Jinguji just, what you would, you couldn't call your kid that. You just, <laughs> would you call your kid Shrine Temple comes Kid? It's of the glitter names, does it? Yeah, this is. This is one of those Kirakira names. And I just, ugh, it gives me a big whole body cringe. I hate it. And I just had to share that with you because it's been on my chest for like <laughs> last week. Um, I did want to come back around and talk about her because, uh, those are the two characters we haven't talked about yet, is they have the boss who is uh, in a wheelchair. Yep. Um, she does a lot of the liaising with other departments and making tactical plans about where to send people. And she's got a secretary whose job is to walk in and uh, show her a, a map, like a heat map, <laughs> <laughs> yep. and say, here's where the ghosts are. So she does all the work and the wheelchair lady does all the talking. It's pretty much pretty much the way they, they work. <laughs> Yeah, um, they've they're, they've got the spirit observation teams, yeah. which I did think were a pretty cool thing to put in here. These maps that come out, they look like me- meteorology maps. Yep. This is like this is the weather forecast, except it's the ghost forecast. And I I love that. Like obviously they they it's the ghost forecast for the agency, but at some point. May ends up with it on her phone. I'm like, she's not part of the agency. Though. How the fuck did she get that? Is is this something that if you're in the know with the spirit stuff, you're just on that RSS feed and every like day you get an update on the on the ghost forecast. Yeah. But it's not technological is how they're making it. How they make it is that three psychic women go and lie in a bathtub in a dark room. It's, it's real minority report. <laughs> it is, yeah. Yeah. Oh, silly stuff. Um, but probably the most important thing to mention about these two is that they do end up fighting Yomi when Yomi turns evil. And the wheelchair has weapons in it. Yeah, sure does. And glyphs on the wheels, similar to the motorbike. That was a pretty good call- callback. I actually liked that. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah I, I, I don't know. I still I thought it was kind of lame at the beginning anyway. <laughs> so bringing it back, I'm just like, this lame shit again? God damn it. Um and the other one, uh, she did, like, uh, wire stuff, like kunai with wire on them or whatever. A retractable kunai. Yeah. <laughs> it is yeah. not a great weapon. No. And I think I think we're, like, starting towards wrapping up, so I'll talk, we can, we can talk about the ending, um, or at least the fact that I really don't appreciate that our side characters are not resolved. During the fight with Yomi, we've got uh, the, those two down there fighting Yomi with um, the two Nabus and our gay character um, up on the ridge, like fighting the chimera that she summons. And in that fight, one of the Nabus gets like bitten. Yeah. And then we don't see him again. We don't actually see him die though. Like there's no like, oh, he's on the full on the floor, and the other Nabu goes Nabu and anything like that. We just like we just cut away from them basically, and. Then the fight down below with the Yomi and the other two continues, and then Yomi ends up getting away. But after stabbing the assistant lady who's protecting um, the the head of the department, um, but then we just kind of cut away from them again. We don't see them again until the very end mm. when uh, the secretary is at a hospital and appears to have lost her memory or regressed to being a child. Yeah, has taken some sort of severe mental brain trauma and we have no reference to the fact that one of the nabus got killed just none 
And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, are we really that focused on this that we don't want to hear about poor Nabu, at least seeing the other Nabu broken up about it? Like, nothing? Yeah, and I mean, this is the show continuing as it starts, killing off the entire team of characters it just introduced to you to do a shock gimmick uh, opening. Yeah. Uh, a lot of what's happening in the back half goes back to being shock gimmick. You have the suitcase guy uh, gets like tortured to death in front of Noriyuki. Yep. Just so she can make a point about how he's too much of a coward to kill her. Which he is. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. It, again, we get back into that like trying desperately to be cool. It really wants to draw out the fact that, uh, again, Kagura can't act against Yomi. <laughs> Yeah. And Noriyuki can't act against Yomi. And they just just hit the... Uh, even if that hit it once, I don't think I would have liked it still, but they hit the same beat like three times consecutively. Yep. Where she's like yelling at people going, you're a fucking idiot, kill me, I'm about to murder your friend. And they yeah. just can't follow through with it. Yep. Any of the fucking times. And even, like, even in the final episode, like they do it once in the first half, they have a break and then do it again in the second half before finally killing her. Like, Oh yeah, they have a fucking, yeah, they stop for orange slices in the middle yeah. of this fight. <laughs> Just so Kagura can get her shit together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a weird ending. And I, 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 it's I think- It's a waste of good choreography too, because that fight- it looks great. Yeah, it's a great look. It's a great looking series of fights. But she, like just... she gets Byakue yeah, from her her father um, after her father gets murdered by Yomi, and uh, so she has to learn to use it for the first time. And you like control the dragon like a kite by holding it with a big chain. Yeah. Oh, it's it's such a cool i like series of ideas that are just let down by the storytelling. Yes, absolutely. And so. Before this, before we started recording this, I actually sat down for a few minutes and rewrote my notes on my phone because I have my notebook at home. And while I was doing that, I was looking up a couple of things. Not a lot, just a tiny little bit. And uh, so at the end of the show, Yomi dies. They do kill her. Fantastic. Everyone's safe now. Fantastic. Good job. Then I read that apparently in the beginning of the movie, and as you said, like in the first chapter of the manga... Yomi's back. Oh, and she's, yeah, she's a ghost lady and she controls other ghosts now. <laughs> like, what the fuck? We just spent this whole <laughs> second half of a series being like, oh my God, this lady is so strong. We need to get rid of her. Oh, but we can't. Oh, but we need to. Okay, I finally, I'll get rid of her. And it's such a big, like heavy, difficult moment just for her to come back the next day. Mm. Like, I, I understand that bringing characters safe. back. I understand bringing characters back, but not immediately. It's usually when it happens in a show, you'll be like, the character dies. Maybe at the end of the episode, there's like a reveal. They're like, they're actually still alive. But we don't see them for a while. We get another villain in for a bit and then another thing. And then, what? She's alive? I Oh, my God. This is just ridiculous. (laughs) It's a bit weird. It is a prequel. And so it's maybe assuming that you know that in the manga, she's going to be a ghost. Which, top tip for anyone who decides to make anime in the future, do not make that assumption. You have idiots like us exist in the world. We're just going <laughs> to watch a thing without watching the first season or watching anything that happens later. So, yeah, I like there, there are definitely moments in this where they assume that you know what's happening and or, or that you know what's going to happen at least. And I'm sitting here like, oh, I don't fucking know. It's, it's weird. It's a strange decision to do a cross medium prequel. Yes. All I can say is yes. <laughs> like, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't think it pans out for them. I get why they did it. You know, they they wanted the creative control to do something interesting that this studio just wasn't getting to do by themselves, and like wanted some free reign to not just follow a story they had in front of them, and didn't want to get yelled at for changing someone else's story too much. Yeah, it just doesn't work. It just it just doesn't work. Again, choreography is great. Like they did some great stuff with some of that action, but. Man, the writing just lets it down. Well, fingers crossed that when it becomes the new Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I forgot you said that. Oh! The, the HBO Garay Zero will be a, a much better version of what we're seeing here. And so won't they. It'll just be bad. Oh. Actually, no, I, I am excited to see that sword in real life. That'll be cool. Mm. I'm excited to see Michael in real life. What the fuck are they going to do with that? God, who knows? <laughs> Thank you for listening to Endless 08. I've been Duffo. And I've been BJ. You can find all our stuff at endless08.com and on our social media. If you know a real freak, tell them about the show. We'll see you next time. <laughs>